and tell your neighbor it's going to get cool one day. Just not today. Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to actually look at a couple of chapters today. But before we do, I have some troubling news to share with you. It's about my wife. She's not here today. She has another fellow in her life. You don't believe me. I have his picture. They're in Rogers, Arkansas. This is little Titus Ray, and he was born Wednesday. And that's where Linnell is, being a grandma. They really had to twist her arm hard. Show a couple more pictures here. Here's mom and dad in the center here, and little Henry, my first, and there he is. And, uh, of course, there I am over there. Uh, my wife told me yesterday, of course, my, my little blonde baby, he's about, eh, about 20 months old, I think, now. And my uh, daughter Rebecca was there yesterday, and she was getting ready to leave and go back to college. And uh, uh, John Henry decided that Titus should go with him. So he got Titus's little car seat to carry it to the car so Rebecca could take him with her. So I don't know what that means, but uh, trouble in Dodge. Hey, th this series we're doing, New Beginnings, as we say over and again, it's more than a sermon series. It's about the relocation of our church, but more importantly, it's about our lives. How many know sometimes in life, life we level out, we go down, we get off the track? Well, how many know God can give us a fresh start in the right direction? And I've been sharing things to hopefully encourage you, and it seemed appropriate. The last couple of weeks I've been talking about stewardship. Stewardship is a word we don't use a lot today, but stewardship basically means uh, managing something that's been entrusted to me. Uh, and the principle is that the Lord has entrusted to us talents and abilities. God has given us resources in our care, and God expects us to use those to serve Him. And that's kind of the gist of the series we're talking about. If you want to look at an umbrella for the last couple of weeks, is about how to be a spiritual person in a material world. How many know the whole concept of material things, of money? Paul warned us that the love of money is the what? Yeah, root of all evil. Not money is the root of evil, but the love of money. And I've been trying to help you as we're in this season of new beginnings, think about your stewardship of your material world from a biblical perspective. You may recall we started out a couple weeks ago looking at what Jesus said. And for Jesus, it's all about the heart. Jesus said the greatest commandment in all of the Bible is to love the Lord with all your heart. Sure. But then he taught a parable and he said, he said uh, uh, you can't love or serve God and money. Only one can be first. So this tension we saw lived out. You remember there was a young man. He was called the rich young ruler. He wanted to go to heaven. But when Jesus tested him over his material world, he chose his possessions over God and walked away. We talked about the parable of the talents, about what God has entrusted to us using this for his glory. Last week we talked about what I think is probably the most balanced scripture in the New Testament on our material world. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And you remember the first part of it, he gave some more warnings. He talked about the love of money. He talked about covetousness and greed. But then he talked about contentment. We talked about, through God, being happy where we are. It doesn't mean we don't have ambition for a better life, but it simply means we can be happy today. And one of the great scriptures of balance in that passage was the promise that the Lord gives us material things to enjoy. He gives us money to feed, our, uh, to, to feed, he gives us homes to live in, you know, cars to drive. All these things are gifts from God, and we never have to be guilty when we're able to enjoy something nice. But the crux of the message last week of, uh, about stewardship 
was he said this phrase, use your money to do good. Use your money to do good, implying that I can also use it for not so good things. Think Jeffrey Epstein, the guy that was a billionaire that was, you know, a sex pervert, and he ended up supposedly hanging himself. I mean, no, money had the potential to destroy his life. But to use our money to do good, Paul told us how. He said, be generous and willing to share in helping people. So God gives me money for my needs. Uh, I enjoy it. I save it. But I'm also a generous person. And this is what I mean by managing for the master. Well, today, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, I'm going to look at two chapters of the Bible. And these two chapters talk about giving. These two chapters will give you some uh, a thought process not only for our new beginnings, but the way you live your Christian life in the future. Uh, the context, broader context is there was a man, he was a prophet. His name was Agabus. And Agabus there in the New Testament had prophesied that there would be a famine in Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem, obviously where Christ was, born, was crucified, Jerusalem was the city where Christianity began. And the Gentile, which are non-Jewish people all around the world, they felt a special affinity towards the Jewish people. Well, because this famine was coming, Paul the Apostle, going around the Roman Empire, the whole Mediterranean world, asking the Gentiles to give money to help the Jewish people. And that's, the, that's kind of the context. And you're going to learn a lot of great lessons today. We're going to learn about uh, uh, how to be happy even when I sacrifice. Uh, it's possible, the Macedonians. Uh, we're going to learn about, about a, a principle called sowing and reaping. We're going to learn about God's promise of caring for us when we're in this process of being generous to other people. So that's kind of where we're going today, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I, I want to just reiterate again what Pastor Travis said. We've been doing this New Beginnings campaign for about six weeks. Uh, we felt a number of months ago that rather than, you know, when we actually start the construction, which, by the way, I got some, some good news, I think, from engineers. I, I had one that uh, he didn't swear on the Bible, but he pretty much swore that he'd be done next Tuesday, the civil engineer and uh, 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 the uh, air conditioning guy, this close to being done. So we're making progress, and we're ready to start that thing. But once we do, you know, anytime a church does a project like that, there's always a need for money. And rather than just kind of going week by week, you know, here's a plumbing bill, here's an electric bill, we just wanted to do a more spiritual approach to where, where hopefully you don't feel pressure. I've tried my whole time, I've been with you here, never to pressure you over money. I tell people up front in the Connect class, I don't want your money, I want your heart. I want, I want your relationship with God, and money tends to take care of itself. But we felt to take a, a period of time where people could think about it, where they could pray about it, ask the Lord what he might want them to do in this process of sharing for new beginnings. Well, next weekend is actually our commitment weekend. Hopefully, you'll join me in uh, bringing a, a little commitment card that uh, we'll make commitments for the next three years and starting the devotions uh, tonight. Uh, actually, my wife and I will be, we, I think we know what we're going to do, but Thursday night we've decided during the devotions that's where we're going to fill out our card, and I hope you'll, uh, you'll join me in the process. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is, uh, is where we want to begin today. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and he begins this conversation with the Corinthian Christians, and it's a long one. It's two chapters in the Bible, and I'm going to hit the highlights as we go through these two chapters. But in talking to the Corinthians, he references a group of churches in Macedonia. Macedonia was on the northern part of the Greek peninsula, and what would happen, just like in today's world, when one city would perhaps come to Christ, 
Paul would make another journey in the region and he'd plant another church. So before you knew it, you had a collection of churches, and in this case, the region was Macedonia. Let's pick it up now. I want you to know what God in his kindness, and that's the key word. It's the Greek word charis or grace, and a word that we use is kindness. And what he's doing is he's attaching their giving as an act of kindness to help the Jewish believers that are, that are in the famine. I want you to know what God in his kindness has done through the churches of Macedonia. Now, this next verse is probably the most intriguing verse that I'll read today. It kind of defies logic. He said, they're being tested by many troubles. Well, that's understandable. Christians are persecuted today, but they were certainly persecuted in their day. Uh, it, it was problems. Many would lose their jobs because they would become Christians. But we don't know all the details, but bottom line, they're tested. And notice the phrase, they're very poor. But they're also filled with abundant joy. If you think of that, poor people being happy, you say, well, they must have been drinking or smoking. No, I don't think they were. That was a joke. It was my only one. It was not a good one. But that was my joke for the day. They're very poor, but they have abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Now, I want to ask you a question. How can somebody that is struggling and poor be happy to help people they've never met before and want to do as generous an act as they can? How can that be? We'll talk about it. Verse 3, I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. They gave more than they can afford or perhaps more than they should, and they did it of their own free will. That is, they weren't manipulated, they weren't forced, their arms weren't twisted. They just sought God and they did what they felt God wanted them to do. And verse, verse 4 blows my mind. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? Begging somebody to be a part of it. I see this sometimes today, but rarely. There's something about giving that, that, that overwhelms the rest of our world. I saw the coolest little example, the, the gal that's uh, 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 collecting money for these little shoes here. Uh, she showed me last night, she showed me an envelope and, and somebody had given $90. Well, they're $20 a shoe. But then she said, no, 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 look, look who gave it. And I think it was a little nine-year-old boy, nine or ten years old. Now, how many know $90 for a nine-year-old? That's a big deal. Birthday money, savings money. And she was in tears, and I was almost in tears, because something had happened in this kid's heart to barefoot people on the other side of the world that they never knew. So this is the kind of thing that we're talking about. They had made a connection. Uh, what motivates people to do like this? What would motivate a Christian to give sa uh, sacrificially like these Macedonians? And I believe I have a simple answer. It's they loved God uh, because he first loved them and they wanted to express their gratitude in a tangible way. Let me say it again. They loved God and they knew God cared about these Jewish people and they wanted to do some tangible act to say that I care. Now, this is not the only time in the Bible because, you know, I've found in my life, I'm in my early 60s, uh, I, I have as much financial pressure in my early 60s as I did in my 20s, 30s, and 40s. And what I mean by that is, no matter how much money I have, I make more now than I used to, but there's always something else pulling at it. 
Uh, insurance goes up, your kid goes off to college, your kid needs braces, you need a new car, uh, you need a new turkey decoy, come on, I don't forget that one, you, 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 you need the shells, you know, the new high dollar shells for the year. There's just things that, are, and they're not evil things, but they can pull at us, and before you know it, you look, and it's, it's, it's kind of zero at the bottom. But, but in that, obviously, the logically thing is, well, I could never, you know, give to the Lord, buy some shoes, help with new beginnings, or help with a famine, but people found a way to do it. And they're not the only one. Mark chapter 12, verse 41, it's a story about a, a widow. Jesus, sits, Jesus is in the temple, and he sits near the collection box and watches as crowds drop in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts, but a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Now, when you think about pennies today, pennies don't have much value today. But I remember when I was a kid, a penny would buy a piece of bubble gum. How many can old enough to remember that? You buy a piece of bubble gum, you could buy banana bikes or whatever the case. But I have seen people today that go to a convenience store and they gave them change and it fell on the ground and they didn't pick it up because our change is almost worthless in our world today. Well, think about that context. And this woman puts in two pennies. And Jesus said, the poor widow has given more than all the others. Well, how could that be true? Because we just read that the rich put in a lot and she puts in two pennies because it's all a matter of the heart. And this is where Jesus said, Jesus said uh, they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, as poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Now, I would certainly never ask you to give everything you have to live on, but what I'm saying is there is a place in a person's love for God, a place that moves and touches a person's heart, to the degree that it becomes more important than the turkey decoy. Are, are you with me today? Well, this is, a, this is a, 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 a stream that runs through this passage. Look at verse 5. Uh, Paul said they did the Macedonian churches even more than we'd hoped for. And this is so key. Their, say this with me, first action. See, when I put my hand like that, I want you to tell me what's on the screen. I'm not scratching my ear. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. Well, how many know, really, whenever it comes to money, I should always have a first action giving myself to the Lord. Before I buy a new car, I, should, I, think, I, I think we should pray and say, Lord, should I do this? Before I take a new job, before I buy a house, but whatever, whatever the case is. But God is involved, and this is what I mean in these messages called managing for the master. It is a partnership with God, and I'm a steward. In other words, I have a responsibility to manage what God puts through my hands. And my challenge is, is to live my life with open hands, not tight-fisted hands. Because we've already learned about the love of money is the root of all evil. And how many know that doesn't mean just rich people love their money and poor people love their money? Money can get you in trouble, but if you'll learn how to manage for the master, if you'll have an open hand, you'll find that not only will it will enrich you inside, but we'll read later how God will promise to bless us. Their first response was to give themselves to the Lord. Now look at verse 7. I want you to excel in this gracious or kind act of giving. In other words, Paul is saying, I want you to get really good at this. I want you to be someone that can be trusted by God. See, God that created the world, how many know God has the capacity today, right now, to meet every need of poverty in the whole world? How many know God could do it just like that? But he doesn't. He chooses to use people in the intermediary. He chooses to put shoes on other people's feet by people that go over there. He chooses to use Christian people to help other people as a sign of the generosity of God. Uh, 
I want you to excel in this gracious act, verse 9. And then he compares our generosity and giving to the generosity of God himself when Christ gave his son. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, not monetarily in heaven, but the glory of his life, but for our sakes he became poor. So by his poverty he could make you rich. And that's not talking about material riches there. It's talking about the spiritual riches that came from Christ. But the principle is the same. Our giving imitates the nature of God. I bet you everyone in this room knows John 3.16. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It is the nature of God. I believe, now my nature, I'm selfish by nature. My wife is much more giving than I am. I'm selfish by nature. Uh, but I have found that the longer I walk with God, the less selfish I become. The closer I get to God, the less I'm concerned about my rights. The more I'm concerned about other people. Well, this is what happens when God works in our life. Look at verse 11. He says, I want you to give in proportion to what you have. Now, mind you, we're trying to learn from this today. But he's talking to people as he's raising this offering to help the poor saints that are in Jerusalem. He says, give in proportion to what you have. So whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. So what does that mean? Our giving is relative. If, for example, you're middle age, you, uh, you got a, a graduate degree, and you're in a profession, well, you're earning more money than somebody starting out as an entry-level job at McDonald's. I mean, no, proportionally, uh, it's different. For, for one person, $100 could be two days' wages. For another person, $100 could be a good tip at a real nice restaurant. And God recognizes that. God doesn't put us all on the same level. There's this terrible push in America. Next week, by the way, this is my last stewardship message. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about the only hope for America, Jesus and the church. I be, listen, America's in trouble. America is sick. She is sick in so many ways, sick to the degree that people in America today are willing to sacrifice their freedoms and ask the government under an umbrella of socialism or even communism to take care of everybody. How many know something is wrong with that? Rather than trying to raise us all up, it brings us all down. But we're going to talk about America next week and see that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the vehicle that can bring America turn around in America. Well, that's next week. But, but again, giving is in proportion to what we have. Now, now look at chapter 9, 2 Corinthians 9. Paul says this, and now he's going he's to make a parallel between money and seeds in the natural. He's going to take a natural example and teach a spiritual truth. He said, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. Question here, how many of you actually have a garden today? Raise your hand real high. You have a garden. In, in, in all three services, less than 10 people in every service actually raise a garden today. So the rest of us garden at Albertsons. We garden at Sam's. I mean, that's what we're kind of used to. And we have forgotten. But in their day, it was an agrarian society, and everybody had a garden. Everybody, that's the way they lived. They didn't live like we do today. And I'll talk a little. So I'm going to use this example of farming. Uh, he goes on to say, the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And perhaps you know this translation. 
Whoever sows sparingly, his seeds will reap sparingly. But whoever sows bountifully will do what? Reap bountifully. I will say that scripture in the 40 years that I have been in pastoral ministry has been the most abused scripture that I have experienced in church life. What I mean by that is, is that scripture of giving and receiving, of sowing and reaping, appeal to the hedonistic side, the selfish side, the greedy side of Christians, and Christians were almost giving, giving to get something from God. Can I tell you, that's just not right. We give because we love God. We give because we honor God. We give because our obedience is to God. Now, in response to that, God says, I'll bless you and I'll care for you, but I don't give to give. My prayer is, is if I never got another thing from God, that what he did on Calvary should be more than enough. Come on. Listen. This is not a gimmick, but it is a spiritual principle. And just as it has, was abused, I would say, in the, in the life of the broader church, how many know you also abuse the Bible when you neglect a scripture? If I neglect to teach you a spiritual principle, I'm doing you a disservice. So let me walk through this, the words of Paul. You, basically... You sow generously, you reap generously. Let me look at a, a, some picture of some corn seeds. Now, uh, he's got six seeds and he's planting them. Now, I did a little research and the average ear of corn, if a, corn is planted, a seed of corn is planted in good soil, if it gets the water, the nutrition, the sunlight that it needs, that one grain of corn is going to produce 800 kernels of corn. Think of the, uh, the, the corn on the cob that hopefully you've enjoyed this summer. One seed produced 800. It only took one seed. So if this guy plants six, what's he going to get? 4,800. If he plants two, what's going to come back? 1,600. If, if he puts one, 800. What if he doesn't plant any seeds at all? You get nothing. Well, this is what the Bible is, is teaching. There is a parallel between this natural world and the spiritual world. Uh, Paul is saying that when we give, it sets in motion a cycle of what we're going to call sowing and reaping. God gets involved. It is, it is not a gimmick. It is not a way to manipulate God. But it is a participation in a process, just like a farmer planting a seed and waiting for the harvest. Let me show you some modern agriculture. Uh, they're planting, let's say, corn here. It's a 12-row planter. Uh, my, my family, my dad and my brother, my nephew, they still farm. Well, there's probably about four months between the center screen and that corn harvester on the right side. Uh, when you harvest corn, uh, it's the busiest time of the year because typically corn bears so much. One combine has to have at least four trucks to haul it, 18-wheeler trucks. He's got to have two tractors with what they call grain buggies. And as soon as he fills up, they dump it on the grain buggy, they dump it on the big truck. And they're just constantly moving. Well, it all started because in the springtime, in March or April, they went out there and they just took this planter. And you can take a bag of seed corn, and a bag of seed corn will fill up two of the little yellow hoppers. That bag of seed corn is about $400. So if you can imagine, he's got about $2,500 in that uh, that he's just sticking in the ground. And it seems like a waste. It seems like a waste when you put $20 in something like that. 
I mean, you'll never get anything from it. It might make you feel good for a little while, but you'll probably forget. But what the Bible says, when you do this, you're planting seeds like that, and you're going to get that over there. And when, when, when my dad and them plant corn, you know what they do in about five, six, seven days, depending on the weather outside? They start going to look at that corn every day. Because there's a process happening. If they don't see anything coming up, they're going to go scratch around the ground because they want to see that a green shoot is coming up. They didn't do anything to cause that. God caused that process. And there's a parallel between what God does with seeds in the natural to our giving. Listen to what, it goes back to Genesis 8. Genesis 8, This is after the flood in Noah's day. He said, while the earth remains... Seed time and harvest, or seed time, which is planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Wasn't it dark last night? And it's light today? Well, the same thing is happening. It's hot right now in August, but in October it's going to be cool. The Bible says these processes are instituted by God, and he's likening one to our, our, our giving and receiving. Proverbs eleven twenty four: give freely and you'll become, not as a gimmick, but God will bless your life. But if you're stingy, you'll lose everything. And I'm just reading the Bible to you. Whoever gives to others will get richer. Now, mind you, you're going to see in a moment, I'm not getting rich so I keep and hoard, but I'm getting rich so I can bless some more. Whoever gives to others will get richer. Those who help others will be helped. Again, not a gimmick, but a spiritual law. But the challenge is, and I'll give you this caveat, there's a time of waiting between sowing and reaping. When that planter went in the field earlier, you've got to wait four months until the combine comes through. Your, your little preschool kid comes home, and they're real excited. They've got a little styrofoam cup, and it's got seeds in it. And they say, Mommy, 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 I'm, gonna, I'm growing corn. And they look at their little cup the next day, and what's there? Nothing. They look the next day, nothing. And before you know it, they've probably forgotten about it. But one day that seed's going to pop up. And here's what I'm trying to tell you today. The way you're living today will affect you maybe not directly tomorrow, but it'll affect you in six months. It'll affect you in a year. It'll affect you in decades to come in your life. You don't believe me? You just practice being honest at work. I, I, I listen. I have a friend of mine that told me just today, he's in business. And he said in his business he had somebody pour concrete. And for the second time, they did it wrong. He has to take responsibility for it. The guy's going to have to come back and pay $8,000 for it. But don't you think he's looking for a new concrete man? What would happen if he could find a concrete person that did the job exactly right and was there every time he said he would be? What would happen if he could find a person that had character to support him? Well, that concrete guy might not get rich tomorrow, but you know what's going to happen to him in about a year, six months? He's going to have more business than he knows what to do with. And if he has the ability to manage his business before he knows it, he's not only doing this business in Texarkana, he's now expanded in the Arklatex. He's taken over Shreveport. He's taken over Little Rock, and he's got his eyes set on Dallas. Why is that? Because he has something in place in his life to bring change and bring excellence. I'm preaching a little better than you're amening this morning. Look at verse 7. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. And that's been my promise to you as your pastor. Whether it's our everyday as we go. I've been here almost 30 years. And to my knowledge, I've never pressured anyone about money. I even tell people in our Connect class, I don't want your money. 
I want your heart. What I mean by that is I'm going to teach you what the Bible says, but I'm not here to use you. But today, hopefully, I am helping you find a way in life where God will put his hand of blessing over your life. Now look at verse 8, and the rest of this is a promise. Verse 8 says, God will generously provide all you need. And you think, wow, get some buckets to take care of it. But then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share. And this is where many people mess up. When God blesses them with something, they eat it like they eat their seed and they stop planting their seed and they stop giving and helping people and then the blessing stops. But what the Bible says, God blesses us so to meet our needs and so we can bless other people. Now I want to show you an illustration of this. I got a little quick video from a couple of our church members, Robert and Barbie Trumbull, uh, in our vision desserts that we recently had. We had about 350 people that came and uh, shared lots of details about our future. And uh, uh, he shared a testimony just out of the blue that so encouraged me in this respect, I wanted you to hear it too. This is Robert and Barbie Trumbull. Take a peek. My name is Robert Trumbull. This is my beautiful wife, Barbara. We started going to Church on the Rock in 2002. And um, we, we was serving the Lord for a while, but we was never tithing. We was always just tipped God. And one day I decided that we, you know what, we're gonna try this tithing. And I talked to my wife, she was, she was anxious to write the check. Um, so we, we tithe God and with our 10%. And I don't know about you guys, but that's a lot of money for me. That was a big step for me. Uh, I work hard for my money, just like I'm sure you guys do. So that was a big deal. But the Sunday that we wrote the tithe check, I got a phone call right after church. And to make a long story short, I sold two houses that were under construction. Hadn't even finished the houses yet. And the interest that we saved alone on the houses was more than the tithe check, I'm sure. Uh, God has blessed us so much. Uh, we, you know, we've been serving Church on the Rock for a long time, and this is our rock, this is our church, and we, we invest in this church with our tithes and our giving. Uh, I just want to encourage you guys to give to the new beginnings, be faithful to God, trust God, and He will bless you more than you could ever imagine. Um, he has done that to us over the years. My business has quadrupled over the years since I started giving. Uh, God bless you. Have a good day. Well, Robert's sitting right over here. Now, I don't want to embarrass you, but that blessed me when I heard that. Because what did it do? It validated a biblical principle. Now, I cannot promise anyone that God will, you know, you tithe today and you'll sell two houses this afternoon, okay? I'm not promising that at all. But what I am telling you, over time in your life, as you honor God, God will bless you. Now, Robert started out in the construction business, and it has evolved where he does commercial roofs. But he's not just doing them in Texarkana. He was telling me the other day he's doing them all across America. Did you hear what he said? My business has quadrupled since I started giving to God. Again, not a gimmick, but it just, when you put the seeds in the ground, they begin to grow and prosper. You say, well, he must have an MBA. I don't have one. No, he told me today he didn't graduate. He graduated from the ninth grade. 
Now, come on, you graduate from the ninth grade, you're probably going to end up on welfare. Thank God we have a system to care for us. But he worked hard. He worked hard all his life now. He didn't just start working hard lately. Worked hard all his life and he had good character. But you notice what took him above the competition? The favor of God. And this is what we're talking about today. Let me wrap it up. Verse 10. God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. Now I want you to see, he's talking about money. Some of my money is bread. You know what that means? I pay my bills with it. I go on vacation with it. I buy the kids whatever they need with it. But you don't eat your, your, your seed. You plant your seed. Or as a steward managing for the master, what God entrusts to us, there's a portion of it that buys shoes or does whatever else the Lord might ask us to do. But listen to the promise again. He reiterates it. In the same way, God will provide and increase your resources. God, not me. God will increase your resources and produce a great harvest of what? Generosity. See, God gives to me, and when he gives to me, I don't do this. Remember the story of the guy I shared last week, building bigger barns? He had a great crop. He was blessed with it. He was overflowed. And he said, what will I do? He said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And the Bible says, God called him, you're a fool. He said, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And the Bible says, you're going to die, and then who's going to get it all? No, it's a, it, it, you and I are, are, are channels of God's resources to flow through. You'll be enriched in every way, verse 11, so you can always be generous. And when you're generous, you're being a good steward and managing for the master. Let me close with verse 12. Two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they'll joyfully express their thanks to God. Now listen, for your generosity to them will prove that you're obedient to the good news of Christ. That's what I'm encouraging you to do. Hear the Lord and do what he says. But I'll suggest to you that there's three things that happen when a Christian's generous. Number one, God promises to bless them. Number two, the person that they bless is blessed. And then most importantly, though, God receives our praise. And he's the one that's worthy of it all. Come on, give him a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. I'm going to close with a little video. I've been letting all the staff share, our pastoral staff share a little bit about our new beginning, and it's my wife today. And even though she's abandoned me, I'm still going to let her talk. And I wanted to tell you a story about when I was around 12 years of age, I was a preteen in my dad's church, and just like Today, we had outgrown that facility. We had a lot of young people in the church. It was during the Jesus movement, and we had outgrown the church that we had and needed new, new, a new building. And my dad challenged the church to consider what it was that they could do to help us get into a new facility. And it was a bunch of hippies and teenagers, and here I was, 12 years of age, and I remember hearing God speak to me and say that I was supposed to pledge $200. Well, we had been praying at home. We had, as a family, been praying about what we would do, but I'm 12 years of age. I have no job. I have no income. I have no allowance. And $200 back in that day, a long time ago, was a lot of money. 
And I remember by faith when it came time to make a commitment that I wrote down that I was going to commit $200 towards our new building. And I asked God, God, how am I going to do that? And it wasn't but like a week later that a young woman in our church called and said, could you work for me and sit with a lady that's had back surgery while I go visit my mom? I remember taking the, the, the bus to this woman's house every day for a week and I earned $200 for sitting with her, keeping her house, taking care of her, feeding her meals. And at the end of that, I just thanked God and I was able to pay off my pledge. Well, and I kind of said to God, well, you know, I need 200 more for this trip that I want to take um, with my family and it's for the airfare. And she called me at the end of that time that I had committed to her and she said, will you continue to work another week? And for me, because I can't come home. And God gave me 200 more, exactly what I needed. So I have, since the age of probably five or six, understood what tithing meant, but also that when God puts something in our heart to do, He makes a way for us to do it. I, may have, I had to work hard for it. I had to do my part, but then God did the rest. And then I was blessed to be able to go to Hawaii with my parents on this trip. And um, I just want to tell you, include your children in the devotional because every one of us has something that we should do, whether from the youngest to the oldest, there's something that God would put in our heart to give and it will build your children's faith. It will teach them how to rely on God and how to hear God's voice. I want to encourage you, do that family devotion. And kids, teenagers, you're not too young to say, God, what can I do and how can I participate? Because this isn't all about us. It's about the next generation. It's about your children's children. It's about your grandchildren. It's about your great-grandchildren that they are going to have a place to learn about God and be discipled and grow. Thank you for your heart and for your giving. Okay, I'm convicted. I think I'll keep her. I'd like to pray for you today. If you're a head of household, whether you're single or married, uh, I want to ask you to stand. I want to pray for you now. Head of household, if you're married and you're not sure who's the head, both of you stand up there. And, and uh, <laughs> here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to encourage you and you leading your family in their spiritual growth. We used to live in a world where our culture supported the Christian faith. When I was a boy, I remember the principal would read the Bible over the microphone every morning and he'd pray. Well, that's against the law today. Uh, when I was a boy, the Ten Commandments were posted, you know, in, in buildings. They were everywhere. When I was a boy, you didn't, you didn't, never thought about having sports events on Sunday. It was the Lord's Day. But all that's changed. There's only two places that you're primarily going to get help for raising your children and keeping a spiritual focus. One is your own personal commitments, and two is your local church family. And that's why we're doing this today. That's why I want you to have this devotion this week. That's why I want to encourage you to make a decision right now. Use this little book. If you don't have it, get one in the lobby, and we'll also have it on our, our, our church Facebook page. Uh, my grandson is, like I said, I think 20 months, and we're teaching him to pray over his food. Now, how many know when you're 20 months and you're hungry, 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 you don't have time to pray for the missionaries? But here's what we have him do. Fold your hands, and he likes that, and say this. Say, Jesus, Jesus, thank you, thank you for my food, for my food. Amen teaching him to recognize God as the source. Take some time every day. Do this. It's just week long. But after that, use our church app. 
We've got Bible reading every day, two chapters a day. Set in motion the best habit of your life to keep you and your family close to God. Daily time with God, reading the Bible, and praying together. Lord, help us all. Everybody in this room, I pray, God, that we would all have a strong, growing relationship with Christ. I want to pray particularly for those that provide leadership in their family. Whether it's a single mom, a married couple, a grandfather raising his kids, whoever it is. A teenager that's living for Christ when nobody else is. I pray, Lord, that we would nurture our daily time with you. And the most important appointment of the day is the one that we have with God. We read our Bible, we pray, we act on the way that the Lord teaches us to do. God bless all my friends today in Jesus' name. Why don't you stand to your feet, everyone? We're going to close with a group prayer. And you know, to have a devotion, you got to pick a time. If you don't pick a time, I'll tell you this, it'll never happen. Here's why. Somebody's got to go to bed. Somebody's got to be at school early. Somebody's got to be at practice. Somebody's hungry. Somebody already fell asleep. But you pick a time to do it. If I was doing it, if I was able to have a meal with my family, I'd probably do it in the evening when everybody was there eating at least in a private place before I turn the television on or some point in time. But if you don't pick a time, it never happened. We want to close with prayer as we always do. We're going to have our prayer team where they'll come around the front in just a moment. They'll pray with you about anything. But particularly if you're here today and you're having some financial struggles, I cannot think of a better way to get somebody to pray for you because how many know God can give you a new beginning in your financial world? Maybe you've made some, maybe the Lord's spoken to you about something today and you want prayer for it pray for anything. But arguably the most important prayer we would pray is this one. Perhaps you're here today and say, Pastor John, my greatest need is to have a relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and though you're in church, you're not really a follower of Christ. When I was 19, a man shared a scripture with me that I'd never heard. I was raised in church. But he said, the scripture that says, to as many as received Christ, to those he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God. I had no idea that you could have a personal relationship with God. I just thought your duty was to go to church on Sunday. Your duty was religious tradition. That's not true. God wants a personal relationship with us now. And there's a starting place for that. The starting place looks back at the cross of Christ, remembering that Jesus died for our sins. And our sins are what separate us from God. So when Jesus died on the cross for the things that we've done wrong, it's like we who were far away had a chance to become near. And if we would believe in Jesus Christ and follow Him, we can have relationship with Him now on this earth and the hope of eternal life when we die. So my friends, if you're here today and you feel like I'm talking straight to you, it's not me that's, well, I'm speaking, but it's the Holy Spirit speaking through me, telling you, that he wants you to be a follower of Christ. This is not an act to join the church, though you're welcome to do that if you want to at a later date. This is simply a chance to get you and Jesus on the same page. Maybe you're here today and you've never committed your life to Christ, but you're ready. Maybe you used to walk with the Lord, but you got away from Him, and you want to start back afresh today. I cannot think of a better time than now. And I'm going to ask you when we start playing this last song, if you'll just slip out of your chair and meet someone at the cross, the cross is the symbol of Christ. Someone will pray with you. They will not embarrass you. They'll give you some things to help you. But the reason we're asking you to come is there's power in your decision to walk away from where you were and begin to follow Jesus Christ. 
I promise you, it'll be the best decision you've ever made. Go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Zach. Our prayer team is coming to the front now. They are here for you, men and women, across the front. You need prayer for anything you come. But most importantly, if you want to get your life right with God, do it now. He'll meet you there. I love you. Thanks for coming. Next week, we're going to talk about America and the hope that she has in Jesus Christ today.